Okay, I'll in invite you to stand. If you have your bulletin, we'll be reading uh, scripture together. Here it's on the back page of your, your bulletin. This is found in Galatians 5, verses 13 to 24, and then Romans 8, verses 1 to 5 and 13. For you were called to freedom, brothers. Only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. For the whole law is fulfilled in one word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. But if you bite and devour one another, watch out that you are not consumed by one another. But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit, and the desires of the Spirit are against the flesh. For these are opposed to each other, to keep you from doing the things you want to do. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. Now the works of the flesh are evident, sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. I warn you, as I warned you before, that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. And those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the Spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. For God has done what the law, weakened by the flesh, could not do. By sending his own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin, he condemned sin in the flesh, in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us, who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. For those who live in according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh, but those who live according to the Spirit set their minds on the things of the Spirit. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. You can have a seat. Let's pray. Such precious truth, Lord, that you've revealed to us and that we've just been able to hear wonders, mysteries that we could explore for weeks. This morning, Lord, I, I pray that by your Holy Spirit, you would help us to understand your truth that you've given to us here. Lord, open our eyes for us to see 
the wonderful things that you've revealed for us here. Holy Spirit, we need you to help us perceive this truth. Otherwise, we will be unable to. It will bounce off of us. We will be bored. Our minds will wander. But I pray, God, that wouldn't happen, that you'd help us to listen, to be arrested by your truth, to be gripped by your truth, to be drawn to your truth. Lord, help us all to hearken to this, this supernatural event called preaching. And Lord, we look forward to seeing what your Holy Spirit will do through this time that we spend in your word. And I ask this in Jesus' name, for his glory alone. Amen. This morning is part two of a message that we began last week. Last week, we talked about the law of Moses and what that law means for us new covenant Christians. And we discovered last week, oops, skipped ahead. We discovered last week that we've been set free from the law totally and completely. Romans chapter seven, verse six speaks about the law of Moses when it says, but now we are released from the law, having died to that which held us captive. We're literally dead to the law of Moses through the death of Christ. An important point we saw last week is this includes the whole law, not just two thirds of it. We're dead to the Ten Commandments. Yet, we also saw that we've been released from the law, not so that we can do whatever we want. We've been released from the law so that we can do what God wants. How does that work? Christians for ages have struggled with these questions because it, 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 in some ways it defies logic. If God wants us to do something, he gives us a law, tells us to do it, that makes sense to me. How does this work? That we've been released from the law, but God expects righteousness and holiness from us. That is the truth. Romans 7, 6, I just read half of it, says this in its entirety. But now we're released from the law, having died to that which held us captive, so that, this is the purpose of God releasing us from the law, so that we serve in the new way of the Spirit and not in the old way of the written code. Galatians 3, 13, we just read this, says the same thing. For you are called to freedom, brothers, only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. Our freedom from the law is not a freedom to sin. We're not free to murder and steal and do all the things that the Ten Commandments prohibited. So how does, how does this work? How do we become righteous and holy apart from being under the law? Well, we, we were told in brief form in 
Romans 7, 6, which I, we read last week and just saw again here, we've been released from the law so that we serve in the new way of the Spirit. And that's what this morning is about. What is this new way of the Spirit? How does this work? How do we become holy in the new covenant apart from the law? So I titled this morning's message, Holiness, although we could have called it a few different things, but we're, we're answering that question. What is this new way of the spirit? How do we become holy apart from the law and the new covenant? Now, before we answer those questions, there's a bit more of a review from last week that we need to do. So I know some of you weren't here last week, and even if you were, there's some things we gotta just make sure they're locked and loaded in our thinking before we go much further. And, and we're going to explore some of these truths we saw last week, and we're going to see them in these passages that we just read together now before we keep going. So review number one, we're going to see, re- remind ourselves how the law was always about love. That was an important point we saw last year. Last week, rather. Hopefully, hopefully it doesn't feel that long. The whole point of the law was loving God and loving others. That's so why when, when they asked Jesus, what's the greatest commandment? And he said, you shall love the Lord your God and love your neighbor as yourself. On all these hangs the law and the prophets. Jesus was summing up, this is what it's all about. And that's what Galatians 5.14 says, which again, we just read. For the whole law is fulfilled in one word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. That's what the law was about. All those, all those laws, all those detailed laws that came through Moses. They were showing Israel at their specific spot in history, at their specific spot in the story, how to love each other. So for example, you read a command like in Exodus 22.10, where it talks about if, if, if your neighbor lends you his donkey to, to have it under your care and something happens to it, here's, here's how much you need to repay him or, or how to settle that dispute. You think, this is biz- why is this in the Bible? The laws about donkeys getting mauled by wild animals. But, but at that point in history, that was a situation you'd get into. And loving your neighbor meant that you knew how to take care of situations like that. If you didn't pay your neighbor back or didn't deal with him properly when his donkey got mauled by wild animals under your care, you weren't loving him well enough. And so the law was about love. Another way of saying it is that the law required love from us. So what the law required, as as, as all these laws are coming at Israel, what did it require from them? What was it asking them to do? Love. Romans 8, 4, which we just read. And we're going to be bouncing back and forth between these passages a bit. But Romans 8, 4, that we just read, speaks about the righteous requirement of the law. What is the righteous requirement of the law. What did the law require? Love. The righteous requirement of the law was love. That's what it was demanding of us. So the law was always about love. What we also saw though last week is that the law could require love, but it couldn't actually create love. It could command love, but it couldn't actually produce love. It could tell us that we needed to love, but that's it. And in fact, what we saw is because of our sinful hearts, the law ended up creating the opposite of love. The law stirred up sin. 
Romans 7, 5 that we, we looked at last week, it said, for while we were living in the flesh, our sinful passions aroused by the law were at work in our members to bear fruit for death. And, 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 he, and Paul explains what this means in, in Romans 7, 7 and 8. He says, what then shall we say that the law is sin? By no means. Yet if it had not been for the law, I would not have known sin, for I would not have known what it is to covet if the law had not said, you shall not covet. But sin, seizing an opportunity through the commandment, produced in me all kinds of covetousness. The law tells us to love. And one way that you love your neighbor is by not coveting his stuff. That's a part of love. So the law says, do not covet. And yet, what does that do? It stirs up coveting. Just seeing the command there and knowing it, it creates what it is telling us not to do. I don't know if you've ever thought about that dynamic or sat down and wrestled with it. We know this, right? As kids, you want, them, you want, to, tell, you want to make them do something? Tell them not to do it. And, 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 and we're the same. You want to know why our society today is doing so many crazy things that we just say, what is going on? Why are you doing that? Because God told us not to. That's why. And we're doing as much as we can to do everything that God told us not to do in as short a time as possible. And we're starting to see how that's working out for us. So... What we see is we've got these two problems that we need dealing with. We've got the problem of not loving. And then we've got the problem of all of these sinful passions that we've got. So not only, again, not only do we not have love, but we've got all this sin. And the law doesn't help with either of these problems. In fact, the law's purpose was to show us that we had these problems in the first place. The law shows us we are not loving and the law reveals and arouses all of these sinful passions. So we need a solution. And the solution to these problems is what we just celebrated around the table, the death of Christ on the cross for us, paying for our sin. And it didn't stop there. The solution is the crucified Jesus rising from the dead, being exalted to the right hand of his father, just like the Old Testament promised. And from there, again, just like the Old Testament promised, pouring out his Holy Spirit upon his redeemed people that he died for. I wish we had more time to, to dig into all of this this morning, but the, the Old Testament is it promises the coming of Jesus is full of promises about the way that the Messiah would pour out his Holy Spirit on his people. The way that the new covenant would bring the Holy Spirit, being real inner change to God's people. One of the key ones is Ezekiel chapter 36. God is promising the new covenant to his people. And he says, and I will give you you, and he's, this, this is after he said so much about their sin and their just constant sin and how it didn't change and he sent them into exile and it still didn't change. But he said, I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put within you and I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. 
And I will put my spirit, my spirit, God says, I will put within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules. That's the solution to honoring God and doing what God wants us to do is his spirit inside of us. And that is what God promised. And that is what Jesus poured out on the day of Pentecost. That's what was going on at Pentecost. If you read Peter's sermon from Acts 2, Jesus is at the right hand of the Father, just where the Messiah would be expected to be, and he's pouring out the promised Holy Spirit on all of us. And if you know Jesus, if you have believed in Jesus, you have the Holy Spirit of the living God inside of you. Ephesians 1.13 says, In him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit. There's a few times in the book of Acts where for the purposes of making a point, God withheld the Holy Spirit until the apostles came and laid hands on people. But the, the, the pattern the normal pattern that most of us experience, that, that from that point forward that we experience, is what Ephesians 1.13 says. When do we receive the Holy Spirit? When we hear the word of truth, the gospel, and believe it. That is when we're sealed with the promised Holy Spirit. And so the Holy Spirit deals with these twin problems that, that, we, that we've spoke about. The Holy Spirit does not just tell us to love. He produces love itself inside of us. What does Galatians 3.22-23 tell us? We just read it. What's the fruit of the Spirit? What does the Spirit produce in us? Love. And joy. And peace. And patience. And kindness. And goodness. And faithfulness. Gentleness. Self-control. That's not a to-do list. Have you ever read the, the, the fruits of the Spirit? As, okay, I got to work on these things. That's not what that is. That's a shopping list of, of what, what the fruit is. Shopping list is maybe a wrong, wrong word, but th- th- this is a list of what the Holy Spirit does in us. This is what the Holy Spirit produces in us when he comes to live within. And it starts with love and it goes all the way on down. So the law could tell us to love. The Holy Spirit makes us love other people he creates love inside of us. He produces the things that the law could only require. So that's what Romans 8.4 is saying. If your eyes go down to Romans 8, chapter 4 there on your bulletin, when it says that Christ died for us in order that the righteous requirement of the law, and remember what that is, that's love. In order that love might be fulfilled in us who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the spirit. You notice that it says that the righteous requirement of the law is not fulfilled by us. It's fulfilled in us. Someone else fulfills the requirement of the law in us. In other words, someone else makes us love other people and makes us love God. And that's the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit fulfills the requirement of the law 
in us. So that's how the Holy Spirit does what the law couldn't do. He creates what the law could only demand. That's that first problem, right? We don't love. The Holy Spirit creates love in us. What about that second problem? Is that we've got all these sinful desires and sinful passions. The Holy Spirit helps us with that as well. We shouldn't be surprised by this. Galatians 5.16, But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. If you walk by the Spirit, you're not going to give in and do what your sinful desires want you to do. Romans 8.13, as that last verse in your bulletin, puts it really strikingly. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if, by the Spirit, you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. It can be confusing to hear these words, flesh and body, being used in there. I wonder if you noticed that. Those words flesh and body are often used in, in, in connection with our sinful desires, our sinful actions. And this is where the, understanding the big story of the Bible really helps. Because th- these words remind us that there's a big part of us that's still stuck in the old creation. Right? We've been made new creations in Christ on the inside. But our bodies, and which includes our brains, they're still a part of this old creation. And so sin can still use our bodies and our desires as a beachhead to launch attacks and to try and gain mastery over us. Our bodies, our minds, this old creation stuff, that, that's where the battle still happens. Because we haven't fully been made new yet. But the Holy Spirit does whatever the law could never do. He can put those desires and behaviors and thoughts to death. He can kill our sin. So at this point, I just want to stop and just want to celebrate. The Christian life is a completely supernatural experience. I don't know what comes to mind when you hear supernatural. If you think of all kinds of things that you've heard other people talk about, but you've never experienced You wonder, have I ever experienced anything supernatural? Have you ever felt a scrap of genuine love for someone else, another brother or sister in Christ? Have you ever felt a scrap of genuine love for the living God? That is supernatural. That is the Holy Spirit doing in you what only he can do. Have you ever had a scrap of victory against a sin in your life? Something where you struggled to obey and then you were able to obey, and, and, and you're not in the same place that you used to be. That is the Holy Spirit in your life. That is supernatural. That is God doing what the law couldn't do, doing it in you through his living Holy Spirit. The normal Christian life is absolutely supernatural experience, dripping with these realities of the Holy Spirit. But we need to ask a really important question at this point. How does this actually happen? How does the Holy Spirit do this work in us? We know he does it, right? We've we've talked about that. The Holy Spirit creates love, kills our sin. How does that happen? Does it happen automatically? We just let go and let God? He takes the wheel, we chill out, 
And he just does it. That'd be nice. Some schools of theology have taught that. But if, if that happened, how long would it be till we completely forgot about him? How often you're driving your car, how often do you think about your alternator? It's there working away, charging up your battery, making your spark plugs work. You don't think about it because it's just there. It just always works until it doesn't. If the Holy Spirit just did his work automatically without us thinking about it, we'd forget about him. We'd, we'd rob him of glory that he deserves. We'd drift, we'd wander. No, God has a better way that brings him more glory and is better for us. And it's that he commands us to walk according to the Spirit. Romans 8, 4. Or to walk by the Spirit. Galatians 5, 16. We put our sin to death by the Spirit. Romans 8, 13. We do this by the Spirit. We walk, which means live, right? Your whole life is, but the phrase in the Bible for the course of your life is walk. So we live by the Spirit. So next important question. What does that look like? What does that mean? I know for years I would read that. What, walk by the Spirit. What does that even mean? How do I do that? That's what, it's a question that we're going to try and answer in these next few minutes here. And it's not actually all that hard because the answers are staring us in the face in our passage in front of us. So look at Romans chapter 8 verse 5. You've got it right there in front of you. For those who live according to the flesh set their mind on the things of the flesh. But those who live according to the Spirit, okay, which is, remember it's saying the same thing as those who walk according to the Spirit? Those who live according to the Spirit, oh, what do they do? What's the secret here? What, what does living according to the Spirit mean? They set their minds on the things of the Spirit. That's what Romans 8, 5 says. Those who live according to the Spirit set their minds on the things of the Spirit. We've encountered this idea in recent weeks about setting our minds on something. That we shouldn't just let our thoughts float around, being distracted by whatever's in front of us. That we should and must intentionally set our minds on the right things. Your brain, your thinking processes, you can either follow it or you can lead it. You can let yourself just chatter away and flit around and take notice of this and that and get distracted and interested and all kinds of things. Or you can take your mind and set it on something. And walking by the Spirit means setting our minds on the things of the Spirit. So what are those? What are the things of the Spirit that we need to set our minds on? Well, we, 
We could probably answer that question just by thinking about it enough. But thankfully, we're helped out by an important passage. You don't need to turn there. You can write it down if you want to look at it later. It's 1 Corinthians 2.14. And it, different context. I wish we could dig into it for a few minutes. But in that, in that chapter, Paul's talking about the way that God has revealed truth to him as an apostle. So God had revealed him tr- truth to him, and not just truth, but God had revealed to him and the other apostles. He had revealed to them the very words that they were to speak to other people. So as we read 1 Corinthians or Romans or Galatians, the truth that's there is coming from the Holy Spirit. But more than that, the very words that Paul was writing and, and the other apostles, the other writings of the New Testament, those very words are inspired by the Spirit. And so as Paul's talking about all of this, he talks about the things of the Spirit in a way that connects them up. So in other words, the things of the Spirit is talking about the words of Scripture. I say that again, and you can go dig into 1 Corinthians 2.14 and read that whole chapter to kind of get it. The things of the Spirit are the Holy Spirit-inspired words of the apostles in the New Testament. God's truth expressed in God's very words. We should be reminded again at this point that the Bible is a supernatural book. This thing is alive. Open it and read it, and you are reading the things of the Spirit. So walking by the Spirit means we set our minds on the things of the Spirit, which is the truth and the very words that the Holy Spirit has revealed through his apostles. Now maybe, maybe you're thinking a few steps ahead and you say, okay, so if the things of the Spirit is just scripture, the Bible, walking by the Spirit means we set our minds on that, but what about the people who know a lot of the Bible, but they don't actually believe it? There's scholars out there who spend their whole lives studying the Bible. They don't believe it's God's word. They don't believe Jesus was who he said he was. They think it's all a myth. What about them, right? They've got their heads full of scripture. They think about it for a job, but they don't believe any of it. They don't, they're not walking by the spirit. So what's going on? Great question. It's true that just having your head full of Bible verses will not automatically make you a loving person. Walking by the Spirit means that we believe the words that we're setting our minds on. Not just filling our heads with just the words and nothing more, but we believe it. And where this is confirmed for us is a very important verse, not in your bulletin. Again, we couldn't put everything in there. But it's in Galatians chapter 3, verse 5. And Paul's writing it as a kind of a rhetorical question. He's wanting to help them understand something. And he says this. 
I hear rustling, so I'll let you, let you turn there. Galatians 3, verse 5. He says this, Does he who supplies the Spirit to you and works miracles among you do so by works of the law or by hearing with faith? And the answer he wants them to understand is, no, it's not by works of the law. It's by hearing with faith. So let's flip it around. We can make it as a positive statement. God supplies the Spirit to us. How? By hearing with faith. It's just amazing because if you were to go up in Galatians chapter 3, verse 2, you'd see where Paul talks about how we first received the Holy Spirit. How did, how did we first receive the Holy Spirit? By hearing with faith. He uses that same phrase. We heard the gospel, we heard the word of God, and we believed it. That's how we got the Holy Spirit the first time. And how do we keep receiving the Holy Spirit? How does God keep supplying us with the Spirit? Because it's not just a one-time thing. I mean, it, it happened once, and, and, it, and in a way where we, he keeps on giving the Spirit to us. So how does that happen? How do we keep receiving the Spirit in the exact same way that we received him the first time? By hearing with faith by hearing the word of God and believing it. That's how God supplies the spirit to us. Isn't that amazing? You thought this was just normal. You thought just opening up your Bible and reading it and believing it was normal. That's not normal. That's supernatural. That's how God supplies the Holy Spirit to you in your moment of need, by believing the words of scripture. So walking by the Spirit means that we set our minds on the truth of Scripture and we believe it. And as we do that, God supplies us with his living Holy Spirit, producing the fruit of the Spirit and helping us to put our sin to death. So what does this actually look like? What does this actually look like in, in your, in your day-to-day life? Is this... I hope this sounds great, but maybe you're thinking, uh, give, give me an example. What does this look like? Well, here's one example. It's happening right at this very second. We're reading scripture, and if you're hearing it and you're believing it, this right now is how God gives you the Holy Spirit. Right now, for some of you in this room, the living God is supplying you with fresh power from his Holy Spirit right where you need it, bringing the presence of Jesus close to you, right where you need him to be. That's how he does it. Isn't that amazing? This is supernatural right now, folks. Let me give you another few examples to help our heads and our hearts wrap around this a little bit more. Example number one, it's Wednesday morning. Instead of sleeping in all the way that you could have, you woke up 20 minutes early to read your Bible and to pray. And let's say you're reading through the book of Romans. You're in chapter 12. And you're reading Romans 12, verses 9 and 10, which says, let love be genuine. And then it goes on to say, love one another with brotherly affection. Outdo one another in showing honor. 
And instead of just blasting on through and going, oh yeah, I love, no, you stop and you think. You recognize these are the words of the Holy Spirit. You notice, maybe you notice that just because we're not under the law of Moses anymore doesn't mean that God never commands us to do anything. Because right here, new, new covenant passage, and it's a command. Love one another. Okay, so I'm not under the law, but God still gives us commands. Hope you notice that. You realize this is a new covenant command for you. These are the words of the Holy Spirit, and you believe it. You say, yes, this is truth for me. You believe it. And then you think, how am I going to obey this today? Reading here, the words of the Holy Spirit telling me to love my brothers and sisters in Christ. How am I going to obey that today? So you think it through. Maybe you'll be seeing someone later on today. Maybe you think back to a prayer request someone shared on Sunday morning and and you realize, you know, there's actually a practical way I could help that person. So then you pray and you ask for the Holy Spirit's help. Say, Holy Spirit, help me, to, help me to follow through. Give me the strength today to, to, to do what your word is telling me to do. And you obey. You might be praying for that person, sending them a text to encourage them that you did that. Maybe you realize there's a way you can help. So that night, instead of watching something, you go shovel their driveway or make them a meal, even if you're not a good cook. Order them a pizza. And if you're tempted to give up, you remember from what you were reading earlier in in the word in Romans, how much Christ has loved you. And you say, no, I get to show this love to others. And you pray for strength and you obey. You know what I've just described? What should be the normal Christian life? I've just described walking by the Spirit. Reading the Bible, thinking about it, believing it, and acting on it in dependence upon the Holy Spirit. That's one example of what it looks like. Let me give you a second example. This one's going to focus on the killing sin thing. How do we kill sin by the Holy Spirit? So let's say it's Thursday evening. You're tired from a long day of working. You sit down with your phone or your computer to check email. You click on a link, you click on another link, and all of a sudden there's something in front of you which is tempting you, appealing to your desires. Maybe it's another person you're tempted to lust after. Maybe it's stuff that's on sale somewhere tempting you to spend money on something you don't need. Maybe it's a, a, a Facebook post tempting you to feel envy or to feel superiority towards someone. In that moment of temptation, you have some choices. You can give in. You can try just saying no in your own strength. Or you can put your sin to death by the Spirit of God. And so you decide to do that. You will kill your sin by the Spirit. And so you remember what God's Word says about that sin that you're struggling with. And you pull out the sword of the spirit and you fight. 
Maybe it's lust that you're battling and you remember a verse that you memorized. Blessed are the pure in heart for they shall see God. Matthew 5, 8. And you say, God, I want to see you more than I want to see what's on my screen right now. Maybe it's materialism or envy that you're tempted with. And so maybe you've memorized Matthew 6.33. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things will be added to you. And you take those promises from God's word and you believe them. You say, God, I believe that you're going to provide for me. And you close the window. You know what you just did? You put sin to death by the Spirit of God. You set your mind on the things of the Spirit instead of the things of the flesh, and you use the sword of the Spirit to hack off the head of the dragon. These are just two examples out of thousands that we could share today. But I hope these examples, which are drawn from real-life experiences, show you just a little bit what holiness looks like in real life what new covenant holiness looks like. We take the living supernatural word of God. We set our minds on it. We believe it. We obey it. And we use it to fight in the middle of the battle. So you probably know where I'm going this morning in terms of application. If any of this is going to work, you need to know God's word. And you need to understand it so that you can set your minds on it, so that you can walk by the Spirit. And I'm a little bit sad right now because I know that when someone in my position starts talking to you about how you need to read the Bible, I know it's kind of like, okay, we kind of knew this was coming. Yeah, I know I'm supposed to read the Bible more. Add that to my list of things I should be doing to be a better person. Of course you'd say that, pastor guy. Like a friend once said to me, he says, you know, Chris, that's easy for you to say, but I don't get paid to study the Bible for my job. If you've ever thought that, it's okay. I forgave my friend and I'll forgive you too. But here's what I told him. Most, the, the overwhelming majority, most of my important encounters with God's word have not happened while preparing for a sermon. They've happened on my own while spending time with God's word before my workday starts. And it's actually those experiences that fuel me and make, have made me want to get to proclaim God's word to others. This is not a professional gig for me, folks. What you often get in the pulpit is the overflow of where and how I've encountered God when it's just me and him which I'd be doing if I was pushing carts at Superstore like I did in the past. So please, let me plead with you today. Take this just from a normal guy. The living God wrote a book. And you get to read it. Please make that a priority in your life. It is so sad that here in North America, we're drowning in Bibles. And yet, study after study shows that so many Christians in North America know so very little about what's actually in this book. And according to our passages today, that explains a lot. 
for why there is also such a lack of holiness among so many of us. We say we believe this is God's word, but our actions so, so often reveal that the Bible is not very important to us. Or we think it's not enough and we need something more, something better, something more fresh to really meet our needs. I was thinking about this yesterday, reminded of 2 Timothy 3, which says this, all scripture is breathed out by God. Paul had to invent a word there. Some of you know that from studying it. God breathed and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness, that the man of God, man or woman of God, this is you, may be complete, equipped for every good work. This is enough, folks, for us. Any temptation, any question, any life situation that you're going to get into, God has given us enough to equip us for every good work. If you ever find yourself hungry for more than the Bible, that's a surefire sign that what you actually need is more of the Bible. And maybe you've struggled with this. Maybe you're tired of hearing preacher guys tell you to read the Bible more. So I'm going to end here by giving you some practical suggestions for how you can set your mind on the things of the Spirit from Monday to Saturday. Here's just some practical encouragements for how to actually start to apply this if you have not before or if you struggle with it. I'm going to make this quick here, but start by making the Bible a part of your routine. Get a habit going. If you're starting from zero, if you don't read the Bible regularly, let me give you some practical advice here. Don't start by trying to read it every single day. Because that's a challenging way to start a habit, and it probably won't stick, and you'll get discouraged. Start with three times a week. 15 minutes, three times a week. Maybe you think, that's barely anything. That's the point. Start somewhere and make it a habit and make it stick and build from there. Reading the Bible for 15 minutes three times a week would be way better than reading the Bible for zero minutes zero times a week, which is the spot that far too many Christians are in. As you read, try to focus on understanding. Try to understand what you read. Don't read chapters and chapters a day. I've, I've done the Bible in a year thing, but I'm going to be honest, I struggle with that. I, reading three whole chapters, that's way too much for me to really understand it. Now, there, there's good reasons to do that sometimes, to get the big overview. But even, even if you are doing that, take a few minutes to just take two or three verses. Camp out on them. Think about them. Meditate on them. Chew on them. Get a pen and paper and draw out the words and don't leave until they make sense to you. What are they promising? What are they commanding? And pray through those words. I'm a big believer, you know this, in, in good study Bibles that actually help you understand what the scripture means. I'm actually going to do that on the blog this week. I'm going to put a post of a few different really good study Bibles and where you can get them. Memorization is also important. I touched on that this morning, right? Don't forget your sword at home. So if you're struggling in a particular area with a particular sin, find a verse Memorize it. Put it as the background on your phone. Put it as a, a little card on your dashboard of your car, above your countertop where you wash your hands. 
It'll either help you memorize it or at least you'll be reading it a whole bunch, but it probably will help you get it locked into your mind so you can pull it out in the fight. If you're listening to me this morning and you don't even have a good Bible, we just bought a case of 40 giveaway Bibles. Maybe you know someone who doesn't. I'm just, this is kind of my announcement for that. We got Bibles to give away to anyone at any time. Come talk to me. They're in my office. I'd be happy to give you one or two or 15. Whatever you bring to this today and wherever you go from this today, please let's not miss the big idea. This book is the words of the Holy Spirit of the living God. And as we set our minds on these words and receive them with faith, that is how we walk by the Spirit. That's how we produce the fruit of the Spirit. That's how we put our sin to death. And we need this. We can't be holy on our own. So we're gonna sing this song in a moment here. Lord, I need you. And just remember, as you sing these words, let's not forget we need the Lord. And where does he talk to us? Where does he meet us? Where does he equip us for every good work? In his word. Father, we need you. And you've given us all that we need for life and godliness. And Lord, your word is enough to equip us for every good work. Help us, Jesus, to commit ourselves afresh today, to set our minds on the things of the Spirit, to walk by the Spirit. Produce your fruit in us, Lord. Amen.